Thank you, worship team, for leading us into this passage and into these truths that we have been considering in Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, what a foretaste of, an, of deliverance, how unwavering our hope, and we get to focus in on that all the more this morning. What great words to sing and lead our hearts with. I'm grateful for that. Welcome again uh, to Trinity. For those who are with us in person, we're so glad to see you. Those with us online, we're so glad that you're with us. We have the privilege of being able to get into God's Word together. It's good for our souls, so let's do just that. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be considering a, a prayer that Paul moves into on the heels of talking about how amazing this redemption is that God planned and how we saw that plan unfold and the cost paid by Christ and how the Spirit applies it to our lives. He moves in response to that. He moves into a prayer, and we're going to consider that over two weeks. So today we're going to consider a prayer for more that Paul prays. A prayer for more. We're going to read verses 15 through 19 of Ephesians chapter 1. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might? Let's pray. God, we need prayer to understand this prayer, the depth of it, the goodness of it, and why we so need it to be our prayer today. So would you be with us in the preaching of your word and the hearing of it? The receiving of it, the believing of it, the trusting of it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. I know, a little silly. That was a motivational tagline for a television series called Friday Night Lights based on following a high school football team in Texas. It captured the unifying togetherness of that high school football team facing enormous Texas side pressure to win football games as if the entire community lived and died with what happened on a Friday night. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. On the heels of such an incredible description of God's grace and his role in our redemption, how he purposed it, how the Son accomplished it, how the Spirit applies it to our lives, Paul turns around and he prays that we would have clear eyes, a full heart, knowing we cannot lose. It's important for us. He prays for more. In light of all that he just said in those 14 verses, he prays for us to know this more. To know it more. And more, and more, and more. In this prayer of more, we find that it is first motivated by gospel fruit. As he looks at the, the story of the lives of these 
believers in Ephesus and its surrounding region, he's encouraged greatly and motivated by that fruit to pray for more. We're going to find that as he prays for more, it is centered on knowing Christ more deeply. Paul is seeing that happening in their their lives, and yet he prays for it more, that it's centered on knowing Christ more deeply. And it is, thirdly, focused on seeing Christ more clearly. More. It's not a bad thing here. More. Because of how amazing God is, Paul is moved to pray for more. Motivated by gospel fruit, look again at verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. He's heard of this and he prays for more. He's motivated to pray more for them because of what he has heard already. He's heard two things from this Ephesian network of churches. This was most likely a letter written to a region all in and around Ephesus and all the churches that have been launched out from the main church that was planted in Ephesus, and this region, this network of Ephesian churches, something was coming up out of them that Paul heard of, and he heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus and the love of the saints. Two consistent marks of genuine saving faith in Christ. The Bible lays these out. The New Testament lays this out. In fact, Paul talks about it ten times in his writings. He refers to this description, their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of the saints as being genuine marks of saving faith. Ten times throughout his writings. You find it again at the end of Ephesians chapter 6. It's actually the benediction that we're using as we close out our series. We also find it in other parts of the New Testament. In 1 John 3.23, we find these words, And this is his commandment. That we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Just looking at that verse, notice it's one commandment. There are multiple things that are being said, but of this one commandment, it is faith in Jesus and love for believers. You cannot part those, tear those apart. They're so intertwined together. Paul hears of this, of these believers in the Ephesus region. And that motivates him to pray for more. And this heard of implies some things, very important things to us. It implies an outwardness associated with gospel fruit. There is an outwardness that cannot be contained when the gospel is rooted deep. It bears fruit in our lives. Such fruit is vertical fruit. It's vertical. It's belief in God. Trusting God who planned and accomplished and applies our salvation. The initial gospel fruit, turning away from sin and trusting in and following after Jesus, continues to bear more fruit. Continues to bear more and more. That is, a faith in Christ leads to a new way of living. In which God is at the center. And love for other believers is at the ready. But this is something new, and it bears more fruit in our lives. Heard of also 
not only does it imply the outwardness of vertical fruit, but also lateral fruit, lateral love toward believers. The New Testament understands that one of the primary outworkings of faith in Jesus, I'll say that again, one of the primary ways, outworkings of our faith in Jesus is love for believers. Is our love for believers. And that love for believers, as the New Testament walks us through, is a laboring together to keep the gospel centered in what we believe and in the culture of our church. It's a laboring to a selflessness to care for the needs of others as more important than our own. It is a laboring to be committed in this together all the more. The love for each other. Apostle Paul heard of this. It was already happening in these churches. And he doesn't just simply say, great job. He's motivated to pray for more. He prays for more. Look at verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Hearing of leads to some things from Paul in response to that. Hearing of first leads to praising God. It's an ongoing disposition. Paul is encouraged by what he hears and thereby encourages the network of Ephesian churches in what he says, and he can't refrain from thanking God for all that he is doing in their lives. Think about that. He hears of all the good things that God is doing in them. Rescuing them. Changing them. Strengthening them. And he encourages them. I've heard of all this. This is amazing. And then he moves right into praising God. Think through what the culture of a church would be like. Where giving and receiving such encouragement was the norm where joyful gratitude was commonplace. Some people stay far away from the church because of bad experiences in the church, because church folk can sin against each other. Sometimes that sin can hurt deeply. Things like gossip and grumbling can wreck churches' worship and, and impact negatively a church's community and derail a church's mission. And yet here we have Paul rejoicing and giving thanks to God for the fruit of his grace and the gospel in their lives. He encourages them with it. What if that were more and more and more and more the norm in the life of a church? Rather than being motivated by what we can gain from others, What if we were motivated by what we are seeing God do in each other's lives? What kind of change and disposition would that do and cause in our worship and in our community and for our mission? So his hearing of leads to a praising God and encouraging these saints. His hearing of also leads to praying for more. He says he keeps on praying for them. 
remembering them. It's an ongoing disposition of prayer. His attitude of heart when he thinks of the Ephesian believers is to go to prayer for them with a grateful heart for all that God is doing and to pray for more. Well, this teaches us a number of things. One, it helps us see that we never arrive to full maturity on this side of glory. You never get to the point where you don't need prayer anymore. You don't need Jesus anymore. You don't need encouraged anymore. It tells us that. All right, great things were happening here. Paul's rejoicing over those great things, and yet he is praying for more. Praying for more. So they're not all the way there. As we will see in the rest of the letter, it also will help us to understand that we will face all kinds of obstacles in this life. In the world, the flesh, the devil. There will be all kinds of challenges that will come our way. And so we need to also grab a hold of this ongoing disposition of prayer. Even though we can recognize the many great things that God is doing in the midst of us, we will be facing so many dilemmas in this life. We need more. Thirdly, that we will also see, we have something far greater than we could dare to dream or imagine in in our redeeming King. We will never exhaust His glories and His grace. And so part of the reason why we can pray for more is because there's so much more. Right on the heels of a significant transition in Paul's letter from the first three chapters to the last three chapters, Paul finishing up on talking about gospel doctrine and how incredible it is and getting ready to talk about gospel culture and how it shapes our lives. He can't just segue in there without like bursting out into this doxology and benediction of God, you're so amazing. And in that, he, he, he there just reinforces again and again in praise and adoration and hope. God, you are so much bigger than we could possibly dare to dream. Hearing of leads to praying for more. For a point of application for us, for Trinity Baptist Church here in Nashua, New Hampshire, 2022, what do we do with that? Well, A good way for us to take this very seriously is to love one another by regularly praying for one another. I know that sounds revolutionary, doesn't it? Wow, that was a really incredibly innovative point of application that we should love one another and pray for one another. I know, I know, I'm really, really that good. Um, But think about it. Just work it through. Think about some people in this room or in our church family who maybe they're not here for whatever reason, but, but think about their lives, the things that they may have been going through over the last few days or weeks or months or years or decades. Recognize in their life the many ways in which God has been very much at work in them. Take some time to recognize that, take note of that, and then rejoice over that. Rejoice over what God has been doing in their lives or other lives of the people in this church family. Take the time to do that. To recognize it and then rejoice over it. And then pray 
for them to experience more fruit of the gospel in their lives. Do that regularly. Take the time to think carefully about all that you see that's happening. And if there isn't much that you see that's happening, then spend more time with others who are following after Jesus, and then you'll see it more. Recognize it and rejoice and pray for more. Take time to encourage each other with that. I've seen God do something remarkable. How you are holding on to the faith in the midst of challenging circumstances. It's amazing. I see you. I hear you. I care for you. I'm praying for you. I'm encouraged by you. How might that deepen and widen the kind of community that we so desire? Take some time to think carefully on how you could be motivated by the gospel fruit happening in the lives of others in our church family. Motivated to pray all the more and for more. And as you do pray, then move into what we find here. Pray also that we all together would be centered on knowing Christ more deeply. That we would be centered on knowing Christ more deeply. Look at verse 17. So he's saying, I am, I'm remembering you in my prayers. And he goes on to say, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. So there's a lot of words there, but what is he praying? Well, he's praying that God may give them something. And give them what? Knowledge of him. Knowledge of Him, that God would give knowledge of Him. We'll work through that. Knowledge, first of all, the word here for knowledge is something more deeply and relational kind of knowledge. The sort of meaningful and intimate knowledge that you would have with somebody that you care very much about. Not just merely informational knowledge. It's the kind of meaningful relationship that is life-giving and deepening. Actually, Paul could have used a very generic word, a much more generic and common word for knowledge, but he went to the more relationally invested one in when he prayed that they would know him more. And it's the of him. Who is the him? Well, I mean, the answer obviously is God, and it's specifically in how we know God through faith in Christ. So it is knowledge of God through faith in Christ Knowledge of Christ, who is God in the flesh. We've already just spent verses 3 through 14 working through how all of God's purposes are fulfilled in Jesus. That He's the one. He's the one in whom our saving faith rests. And here, we're coming into direct contact with realizing that He's greater than we know right now. Wherever you are in your life, however long you've known the Lord, however long you have followed after Jesus, it could be days, it could be weeks, it could be months, it could be decades. He is more than what you know right now. He is greater than what you know right now. And if you spend the next 10 years with a vigorous faith that is following after him in deeper ways, he will be so much more to you than he is right now, and it will be so much more to know in those t- after those 10 years. He is always seeming bigger even as our faith grows deeper. 
the deeper our faith and trust and knowledge of him expands our understanding of him and he gets bigger to us. Knowledge of him. This is what God has done and brought into our lives by his grace that we can know him, Christ, our savior. And this knowledge of him comes to us in, in, in a grace manner, a grace-filled manner. And it's through the spirit of wisdom and revelation. The means by which God makes Christ known to us in deepening ways. Now, there are a couple of ways that you can take the word spirit. You can take it capital S, which the translation I'm reading from does. Or you can take it in the lower case S, which would refer to us in our experience, like God is experiencing working in the experience, our human experience of coming to know him. So in a sense, both are true. I do think that the context leads us to think of it as a capital S spirit. Because we just had a very Trinitarian focus on the gospel, and we see a very Trinitarian focus on which that gospel is at home in our hearts. Either way, God is very much at work in us, so as to better know him and to to know him more deeply. And it, notice here that it's the spirit of wisdom. Spirit of wisdom. Wisdom, just generically defined, is applying knowledge in action. It's taking something you know and applying it in the way that you live. Certainly more than that, but just very generically, it's wisdom is applying knowledge in action. And God wants to give us that sort of wisdom of him. It applied in action of our lives. Now, something important about God is that God gives wisdom very generously. I love what James says about this in James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, so if you feel like that's where you are, if that describes you, I feel that way. Let him ask God, who gives miserly to all. Gives generously. Gives generously to some? No, to all, without reproach. All who trusted Christ call out to him, Oh Lord, I need wisdom. He gives it to them. And you might be wondering, what in the world, what kind of wisdom is this? What, what sort of, what, what's the fruit of this kind of wisdom showing up in our lives? How does it impact us in this way so that we would know Christ more deeply? Well, James answers that in James 3.17. It gives us a, an insight into what sort of wisdom to expect. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. God is going to give generously the sort of wisdom that brings about more of Christ-likeness in us. We know Him more deeply. That we would be centered on, on knowing him more deeply. And knowing that knowing Christ more deeply leads to a different kind of living. That's pure and peaceable and gentle and open to reason. And full of mercy and more fruit and more fruit and more fruit. That's impartial and sincere. Community of God's people doesn't have to be a toxic place. Doesn't have to be filled with gossip and grumbling. Not to say that that's the case at Trinity. 
certainly a story for many who have experiences around the church. It doesn't have to be that way. God gives us something so great and glorious in the gospel. And it bears fruit, and that fruit helps us come to know Christ more deeply. And the more deeply we know Christ, the more we desire to be Christ-like together in community. So this prayer for more, centered on knowing Christ more deeply, leads us to a number of things. First, it sure certainly should lead us to greater dependence on God. It should certainly lead us to greater dependence on God, that we would be a greater depending on God kind of people to help us know Christ more deeply. And this prayer for more leads us to the word to help us know Christ more deeply. Spirit of wisdom and revelation. The revelation is God revealing himself specifically through the word. And at the heart of the word is the story of Christ. He is the fulfillment of God's purposes. He does what we could not do to give what we could not gain. And the Spirit takes that and applies it to our lives and illuminates our hearts and our minds to understand how Scripture is driving us to see Christ on these pages. So for this prayer for more should lead us to the Word to help us know Christ more deeply. And the prayer for more then also should lead us to reflect more of Christ in our manner of living. If we are knowing Christ more deeply, It will transform our lives more and more and more thoroughly so that we become more like that which we behold. We sink our heart into the things of this world, our own pursuits. We will reflect that in the way we live. We sink our heart into knowing Christ more deeply. As we live out our lives in those various pursuits, we will get to reflect him more and more and more. A prayer for more. Pray that for each other regularly. That we would know Christ more deeply. And then thirdly, that we find is that not only is this prayer for more motivated by gospel fruit, and not only is it centered on seeing Christ more deeply, or knowing Christ more deeply, it's focused on seeing Christ more clearly. So appreciated singing um, Um, Be thou my vision. This prayer is a prayer for that vision to take greater root in our sight. Look at the very beginning of verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Curious expression. The eyes of our hearts. Eyes of your hearts. What what, What is Paul saying? Well, He's talking about that deep place in our heart where faith resides. The Bible uses heart to sort of be the center point of the person. From out of the heart we live. Out of the heart the mouth speaks. Out of the heart is, is the springs of life. I mean, the Bible sees the heart as that, that sort of foundation to our person, who we are. And it's where faith resides. So it's referring to something deeper beyond the surface. Jesus said as much when he was explaining the nature and character of a parable. In Matthew 13, verse 13, he says, This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. So he's not saying that you can't see or hear, but there's something deeper, a deeper seeing, a deeper hearing that's involved here, where faith 
resides. And so what does he pray? He says he's praying that that deep level of who we are would be enlightened. Would be enlightened. And the word there for enlightened means, essentially means somebody kicked open and kicked on a spotlight to shine in and on our hearts. This big megawatt like halogen of God's gospel and grace to shine on our hearts. It means to shine a light on, to see more clearly, and to give understanding. So he's praying that our hearts, the deepest part of who we are, would see more clearly his grace and the person and work of Christ and why that means everything to us. I think we also can lose a little bit of the magnitude of what Paul is saying here and using the word for enlightened about a light being kicked on. In Paul's day, darkness was actual thing. Like that was a thing, a practical thing that, that impacted everyday living. Like it, it actually got really dark at night. There wasn't the ambiance and glow of modern lights. I mean, you have to get out of Nashua a good ways before you start to see more and more stars, right? Because there's just glow of all of us glowing our glow sticks and homes and whatnot. So much light and busyness and clutter and sounds and so forth. In Paul's day, dark was dark. He didn't want to be out at night. You know that expression, nothing good ever happens after midnight. Nothing, in Paul's day, nothing good ever happened after 6.30, you know, because it got dark. It really did matter on daily living, which meant light mattered all the more. Light meant life. Darkness meant, hey, I could die. I can't see what's out there. I could fall. I could get robbed. I could be mugged. I don't know. That, that actually was a thing. So light meant everything. And he's praying for the light to be kicked on in our hearts. The Spirit shines a spotlight on the heart so that we can see Christ more clearly and how to live our lives following after him. And to see Christ more clearly will indeed shape what we believe. It deepens our faith and our understanding of the faith. To see Christ more clearly will shape the culture of our church, how we live out our faith committed together in the local church. That the nature and character of our community communicates what we believe. And so the more we see Christ clearly, the more it impacts and shapes the way we do church together. And the more we see Christ clear, it shapes the outwardness of our faith. That you and I, we can see clearly now, so we can help those who can't. Others that are groping around the dark of this world, we can be like, here's the way out. Helps us to see more clearly. And to see more clearly, he rattles off three things in a very parallel way. They're all sort of speaking to the same thing from different perspectives and angles, but the rest of 18 and into 19. So he's praying that their eyes and their hearts would be enlightened, that you may know, first, what is the hope to which he has called you? Secondly, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And thirdly, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might? 
So we pray that we would see more clearly the hope, that we grasp more fully the hope that is something sure, not wishful, something sure, the hope into which God has called them. Most of the people that he was writing to in these churches in Ephesus, they went from no hope to one hope because of the hope of the gospel. They went from no hope to one hope because of the hope of the gospel. No hope. Ephesians 2.12, we'll get there in a few weeks. Remember that you are at that time separated from Christ, having no hope without God in the world. But, Ephesians 4.4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you, who once were no hope, were called to the one hope and belong that belongs to your call. That call came from the gospel, which we see in a sister letter called Colossians. Colossians 1.5, it says, Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this hope you have heard before the word of truth, the gospel. That's the hope that we have. It's sure. It's Christ. It's not wishy. It's not wishful. It's sure and it's steady because it's Christ. It's a noun here. It's not talking about the act of hoping. It's talking about the object of hoping. In Christ, you have something that is sure and forever. And Paul prays that you grow in seeing this hope clearly. Even when you feel like so many things in your life are not so sure and steady. Be anchored with that kind of hope. He also prays that they would see clearly the riches. Again, we come across inheritance. And note its description. First, it's the riches of it. This inheritance is an unending abundance and filled with joy. It's riches. Secondly, it's glorious Glory is modifying inheritance. It's so great to God that it's glorious. And then thirdly, it's His inheritance. This inheritance belongs to God. That means it is His joy and His glory. And what is the inheritance? The inheritance is us, the redeemed. God has placed His abundant, unending, glorious joy on the saints. That is how he sees us. Paul is praying that you see the riches of such a perspective more clearly. Paul is praying that you would see that, that God looks at you, redeemed, looks at you, trusting in Jesus, looks at you, and with unending, abundant joy and glory and affection. We certainly are skilled at beating ourselves up. We live in a world that is quick to point out all our faults. Many of the things that get pointed out to us may actually have lots of kernels of truth to them. And yet God looks upon us and all our stuff and all our baggage. He says, I redeemed you. I called you by name. And with over abundance of unending joy and glory. You are mine. Paul prays that they would know and see that more clearly. How might that impact the way that you live out your life in such a hard world with hard circumstances from foolish decisions that we've made, that we've regretted the second we made them? 
and so forth. How might that impact the way that we live out our faith? Paul prays that we would know this more, see it more clearly. And then lastly, he prays that we would see more clearly the power at work in us. God's purpose is to provide so thoroughly that believers reach the outcome of their faith. That God provides so thoroughly that we reach the outcome of our faith. God has provided the means for believers such as you and me to reach the shores of glory through it all. This power is incomparable to anything that we have ever known and is so overwhelmingly powerful that it is to bring us through it all to God for all eternity. As we sang earlier, heart of my heart, whatever befall, still be my vision, O ruler of all. Paul then launches into an incredible description of this power at work, and we're going to spend a whole message on it next week. But right now, I just want you to know that Paul focuses on this power many times in the letter. Five times he refers to it. He's wanting these believers and us, inspired by the Spirit, us to know what is at work in us. We may feel the very crushing power of sin, our own sin. We may feel the crushing power of a sinful world. And we can feel overwhelmed by those things. So Paul here is reinforcing again and again and again. The power at work in us is greater than the power around us or the power of our flesh. In verse, or chapter 3, verse 20, he says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think according to the power at work within us. And then in Ephesians 6, verse 10, getting ready to talk about the armor of God that the believer is equipped with by being in Christ. What does he say? Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Why such a prominent focus of power in this letter? Because the power of God is immeasurably great and it's worth such focus. Because the world we live in is difficult and distracting and discouraging. And because we are weak and left to ourselves. If left to ourselves, we are weak. And so he prays that we would see more clearly the power at work within us. And then as we do that, close that loop. As we look and see the power of God at work in our lives, recognize it, rejoice over it, and pray for more. In light of how amazing God is and how sure the gospel is, Paul prays that believers would indeed have clear eyes and full hearts to know more deeply and to see more clearly that they cannot lose. May we know this in increasing measure together. Let's pray. How we thank you for the work that you are doing in us. We thank you, God, that in this room resides people who have responded to the gospel and faith and who love your people. God, we give thanks to you. We thank you for working in us and 
and, and bringing about the gospel to bear on our hearts, once dead but now made alive. And as we recognize this work and as we rejoice over it, God, we, we pray for more. We pray that you, God, would give us wisdom and understanding of who you are and what you've done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. That we would know him more deeply and see him more clearly at work in us and through us. And that that would encourage us and strengthen us and empower us and equip us to live out our lives following after you. May that also shape the way that we care for one another. It matters greatly to you how we do care for one another. So may our hearts be prompted all the more to recognize your grace at work rejoice over it in the lives of other people and to pray for more for one another as we follow after Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name and to his glory and for our good. Amen.